0: amen still going to town there we go awesome man I am excited about this new series that sounds interesting Amanda sounds different than it did this morning uh, at least up here um we are working through the kinks. We've had quite a few issues this morning with our sound. And, man, I just want to thank you, media team. You guys are doing amazing just uh, handling and rolling with those punches. Uh, one, one thing that Dylan is going to help us with as far as interning here is it's been very challenging for us to live stream these services, uh, keep up with all the regular things that we do during the service. Uh, and and try to maintain that that crowd and that online audience. So what we're going to be doing is going to more of a a post. We're going to record the sermons during the week, and we're going to still be live, uh, but it won't be uh, as much of a stressor on our volunteers in the back. So we're going to be working on some things. So uh, live stream, tune in. There's going to be some changes, uh, but we'll still be live at that 11 o'clock hour uh, but I don't I don't do well with scripts at all. That's one thing I'm figuring out at all. I, I mean, if there's something that has been prepared and laid out, uh, I want to go against it. I, I want to throw it out the window. It is my desire to change everything. Uh, that is just how I am. So I, I have struggled with this live stream thing and balancing the two. Uh, but we're going to get there. We're going to figure it out. And uh, I, I think that the more we can keep our 11 a.m. and our now our 9 a.m. service fluid. Uh, the better it will be for me and my spirit so that I can uh, not be worried about what everything is going on and I can just be focused on the message. Uh, so anyway, I, right now at this very moment I'm focused I'm focused I am and uh, the scripture has my undivided attention amen who who's ready for like phase four of our reopening plan when we have coffee again? Anybody? who has missed that? right? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. man. what's that? Oh, so should we add tea? This is the new vote for our our next business meeting. Should we add tea to our coffee bar? All in favor of yes, signify by raising your left hand. I don't know why I said that. All opposed, raise your right hand. What? What's that? Mountain Dew. Dew. Who wants Mountain Dew to the coffee bar? (laughs) Finn's like, I'm in. Put Put it in. Rob wants, he wants Mountain Dew. All right, we'll see. We'll see what we can add to it. I think we're going to add prune juice. No, I'm kidding. Uh, what all can we We could add some stuff to the coffee bar. We'll make it creative. It'll be good. Uh, but I'll be excited. So today is technically phase two, so we pulled the tape off of the pews. And uh, you guys are social distancing at your, at your own risk and uh, doing what you feel is right for your family. We have toys for your children. Feel free to get up and go get those. Uh, that's a change today. Um, but the cap, we're still registering, but the cap has been lifted. Um, but honestly, great crowd today, especially with the 9 a.m., and uh, I, I'm excited about that and how that's kind of uh, evolving. It's, it's, it was a neat thing. Um, but next week, Lord willing, we'll continue into phase three. Uh, so if, if we're able, um, obviously, I think if there's a spike or anything like that, you know, and honestly, with the way... The news has been evolving and the changes, we never know what's going to happen. But if all things continue the way they're continuing, uh, we'll be able to, we'll serve you the coffee. So it's not everyone's hands on it, but one person wearing the appropriate PPE will be able to administer coffee as soon as next week. Um, And so that's the next step before the coffee bar is open again. So are you ready for that? Are you ready? Yeah, we're ready. I can tell you guys are like. IV. Yeah. Miss Beth she'll set up a coffee IV station in the lobby if anyone's interested. How many just how many they get the vein the first time? Anybody? How many it takes like 5 times to get their to get their vein? That's what I'm saying. And then it's like I'm telling you, it's not good. I just got bad nurses, didn't I? Is that what it is? No. <laughs> she just threw Miss Beth, she just threw all of her colleagues under the table. Just kidding. No, but um Take your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah. Take your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter one. I'm gonna say a word of prayer and then we're gonna jump in. Father, we love you. We thank you once again for your goodness. We pray that you will work through your word this morning. Teach us, instruct us. Give us a word for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is going to be a day of laying the groundwork. Today is going to be a day of doing some, uh, the story of backstory, laying the history, putting the context around the book of Nehemiah so that we can learn from it and we can glean from the word of God. My desire is not to just go to the word of God and pull out a text and use it uh, to my advantage, but it's to go to the word of God and learn what the Bible is saying in its context uh, and, and be true to that and faithful to that, and that's what I believe uh, I'm supposed to do as a pastor, and then that will work on your heart. So I wanna learn the context, and, and I think that uh, you'll see that there are similarities. Uh, I'm not gonna stand up here and say, this story is exactly like our story, and, and you can see uh, the direct lines being drawn uh, that God is giving us today in our culture. That's not, that's not what it is, uh, but we will see similarities. How many know that there's nothing new under the sun, Scripture says, right? There's nothing new. What we're facing today, they faced thousands of years ago. And we're going to continue to face until Jesus comes again. There's nothing new. And I think what the devil does in isolating us... In whispering in our ear that maybe God has abandoned us or what we're facing no one else has faced before. And then we're reminded of the scriptures that Jesus was tempted as we are tempted. That he went through the things that we are going through and and, uh, prevailed victorious. But what the devil does is he isolates us. He makes us think that we're the only ones going through it. And that's just not the case. Uh, But, likewise, it's not exactly the same, uh, but we can glean truths from these stories and from the Word of God. They did happen. Uh, I believe with all my heart that the Bible is true and that if it says it, it's going to happen. And it did happen. And that uh, we can with confidence approach the Scripture and get what we need that is extremely relevant for today. The title of the message here as we delve in to the first chapter of Nehemiah And you're going to see that we'll just get into the first chapter probably at the tail end of the message. Um, But uh, the title of it is The Response. The Response. How many feel like you need a response today for what's going on? And when I say what's going on, I mean like if you turn the news on. you, You feel like you're motivated in some way or another that you need to respond. Anybody know what I'm talking about or is it just me? You kind of, you sit there in your chair and maybe some of you have a response of anger. Maybe some of you have a response of fear. Anyone have a response of fear lately? Yeah. Whatever those responses are, I want a biblical response. And what I see here in Nehemiah chapter 1 is a response from Nehemiah that will help us. It will instruct us. It will give us perspective during this time. But let's lay some groundwork. Let's do a little, uh, some, a little study in here. You can. This is all introduction, um, and I, I want to set the stage a little bit, if you will, uh, for this wonderful book that has been working on my heart. This book was really. It, this study came out of a discussion in our connect group, and we were all kind of sitting around. We we're like, man, what what book do we want to go to next? And. Uh, my wife, as she always does, she says, we're going to Nehemiah. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But uh, we had a discussion about uh, a book that that, uh, would help, and we talked about some different books, and we landed on this one. And when I began to read it for our Connect group, I thought, oh my goodness gracious, this is exactly what we need as a church. This is what we need for today. And I think that you'll see that As well, so we're going to go ahead. You're going to have the overflow of our Connect Group study is going to happen here uh, on Sunday morning for the next few weeks. Uh, But let's lay some groundwork here. Israel struggled to obey the law of Moses. Does anybody uh, know that? Are you aware that in the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, that God's chosen people, the children of Israel, they struggled. To keep the law of Moses. God chose him a a people group to bring about Jesus, the vehicle that our Savior would come as a Jew, as an Israelite. A promise to Abraham, a promise to King David uh, that he would work through that nation. And to govern that nation and to protect that nation, uh, a called out chosen people, he gave them a law. And a covenant, an old covenant. And Galatians tells us the new, in the New Testament that that law was specifically given to show us that we couldn't keep a law. The law was given to lead us to Jesus. It was a, a set of parameters, restrictions upon us to show us that we couldn't keep restrictions and parameters. We couldn't actually fulfill it. Therefore, we would have a what? Need for someone to fulfill it. And that's the story of the gospel. And the old covenant reveals that that people group, Israel, struggled keeping that covenant and struggled keeping that law. Can anyone track with them? Can you track with them? It's hard sometimes, isn't it? To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. We know what's right. And Paul even said it. The apostle, writing 13 letters of the Bible, he says, you know, sometimes the things that I should do, I what? I don't do them. And the things that I shouldn't do, I what? I do them. Man, but we find that the same as we turn to the Old Covenant in this book specifically, that Israel struggled to obey the law of Moses. They were constantly complaining about the circumstances instead of trusting God's promises. They were led into captivity because of their willful disobedience. The children of Israel were led into captivity because of their willful disobedience. Israel was divided into two kingdoms. So what was one nation... Uh, in the days of Rehoboam, Solomon, King David's son, King David, King Solomon, his son, then his son, in the days of Rehoboam, the kingdom was divided into the northern and southern kingdom. After that, the king was divided, the northern kingdom went to captivity uh, to the Assyrian Empire. Over the next... Hundred years or so after the northern kingdom uh, goes and enters into captivity to the Assyrian Empire, the southern kingdom is led into captivity from the Babylonian Empire over a series of several revolts that took place in Jerusalem. Remember, the, the place where they were established, the place where uh, the temple, the, if you think about this, the Garden of Eden was, was really the place where heaven and earth met, right? When God created this world, I believe that. Do you believe that, that God created this world? You know, there's a lot of different philosophies out there that are trying to erase creation from the minds of our children, from the minds of our adults. They don't want you to believe that you were created, that you have that ideal of being an image bearer of God, which leads to morality, which leads to the faults that are fixed within us, to the answer of Jesus, and that you just somehow evolved. That's not right. We believe that we were created, but when God created us in His image, He wanted a relationship. He wanted to commune. He wanted to meet with His people. And we find that that God would walk with Adam. Isn't that a a mind-blowing thing? That God, the God of the universe would walk and talk with mankind. And that place... Where heaven and earth collided, where heaven and earth overlapped, where the heavens would come to the earth and the two would meet would be the Garden of Eden. And then we find that because of sin, that relationship was severed. Because of sin, man was driven from the place where heaven and earth met and now it's heaven and earth. Now there is separation, and from that point, there was a divine plan of redemption to buy back, to bring back into that order where heaven and earth, creation and creator could then meet, where no longer the creation would be worshiping creation, but creation would once again be worshiping a creator, and then heaven and earth would overlap that place where heaven and earth would overlap. That place where God put specific parameters, knowing that mankind would fall. Romans 5, 12, one verse, by one man, sin did enter into the world, but God had a plan for redemption where heaven and earth could overlap again. And that place was the temple. That place was Jerusalem that called out people. He had to instruct them that he was holy. He had to instruct them again that once again they were unable. But through a series of sacrifices, through a series of shedding blood, remission could be made. And once again, the Shekinah glory, the Holy Spirit of God could come and rest now in the temple in a holy place. And this is not in my outline. I don't know where I'm going, but you get the point. The point is, is that the place where now heaven and earth could meet again was the temple and for hundreds of years those people a priestly people would do the duty in heaven and earth would then meet but through sin through injustice through disobedience through complaining through murmuring once again we find that the people of God were left in captivity were driven from that garden once again what was known now as, as Jerusalem, the place where heaven and earth met inside the temple was destroyed, was in ruins. but you have to understand that every Israelite, every Jew, every Jew was in that place where they knew what took place. Every person on the outside that was worshiping a God, little G that was trying to, to live a life, but it wasn't the God. It wasn't the way it was in Jerusalem. As they were strangers in the land of now Assyria and now Babylon, they could only be a shell of what they once were. And and I, I, I just understand that there would be a longing to go back to that place where heaven and earth met, where the one true God would come into the temple. But that temple was no more because of their disobedience. Okay, I need to get back to my outline. 150 years after the southern kingdom was taken, there were a series of revolts Jerusalem was destroyed some 50 years later after the Babylonian Empire overthrow uh, was overthrown by the Persian Empire. And then you got to think so uh, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, we, we think about where those stories in this context, Somebody's watch, I think, is going off. Uh, in, in the context of, of where this fits historically in that narrative, there are other uh, books, there are other prophets writing about this time. We think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the names that they were given. We think about Daniel. We think about how uh, the prophet Jeremiah was prophesying that Jerusalem would be rebuilt, Right? So we have these prophets that are writing about, that are talking about what is going on in this narrative of Israel being in captivity and how one day Jerusalem would be rebuilt. Do you understand that our Bible, as it is put together, is a series of, of historical events that were prophetic in a sense where God gave it to one man that was in his nation and he would prophesy and he would tell what was going to happen and then guess what? It would happen. The story of of Nehemiah and where we are and what we're going to discuss this morning was something that the prophet Jeremiah had already said was going to happen. Jerusalem would be rebuilt. Let your faith be encouraged this morning that we have a God that does what he says he is going to do. So anyway, (laughs) King Cyrus, Persia, that Mede and Persia empire comes along and takes over and demolishes the Babylonian empire. And the Holy Spirit of God works on King Cyrus, works in his heart, uh, does a work in, in a pagan king's heart. You know, and this just, I got so many little tidbits happening along the way, right? No matter where you are in life, no matter what you think the injustice is happening, just remember that God uses pagan nations to take down other pagan nations so that God can get his people where they belong. The hand, well, listen, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Romans 13:1, let every soul be subject unto the higher power, for there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. We can trust in God even when we feel like we cannot trust in man. We can pray to our Father and know that he is in control and he is sovereign over all, even when it seems like he is not sovereign, even when it seems like they're not a believer. Do you understand it doesn't matter? God can turn the heart of an unsaved man. God can harden a heart of Pharaoh. He can soften a heart of Pharaoh. The, hand, the, heart is in, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. The Holy Ghost moves on King Cyrus. So where we are in this story as we are learning the background, we desperately need to bring back the coffee bar. Y'all are like, I'll be with you next week, Pastor Matt. When it gets to the practical stuff, you know, like how Nehemiah can help me. I'm like, let's have a little historical lesson. Wake me up when it's over, honey. Listen, wake up. Come on. This is good stuff. We're laying the groundwork. Uh, So where we are in this context, Israel, a divided kingdom. Israel, now a kingdom in captivity. God now is moving on these other kingdoms. Now Cyrus, king of Persia, is moved in his spirit to allow those that are in captivity to return back to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding the temple of God. Woohoo! Imagine how those Jews felt that understood that there was a one true God, that understood that there was a place that could be built uh, where heaven and earth could meet again, where they could once again hear from God. Wouldn't you be anxious to get back to that? But yet we as Christians ignore our prayer closet and our walk with God over and over and over again. The place where heaven and earth meet, we'll get there eventually, but. Ezra and Nehemiah in antiquity originally were the same book. It's widely accepted that Ezra is the author of both books. So the book that we're studying here, Nehemiah, was written by Ezra, the first book in the series, or what was once together as one book, the book of Ezra. We see a period of around 100 years where Zerubbabel, the governor of Jerusalem, Ezra, a skilled scribe, and Nehemiah, a cupbearer for Artaxerxes, all are used in a unique way to bring about the rebuilding of Jerusalem. So it's really three key figures from Ezra to Nehemiah, what once was one book. Then when we find when the canon or when scripture was assembled in the New Testament church, they were broken apart into two. That would be four, two. Uh, (laughs) Broken apart, there were two. Uh, So that was a little bit of a Trump voice right there, not sure why. Um, So the, (laughs) the point of it is, is we have three key figures. If you read Ezra, which I think would be a good idea. If you read Ezra and then read Nehemiah, you find Zerubbabel, you find Ezra and Nehemiah. In that order, Zerubbabel would be the governor of Jerusalem uh, under that Persian empire, put in that place to begin the rebuilding of his temple to allow the Israelites to get back to their form of worship. And then Ezra, he's a skilled scribe, which would make sense why he wrote the books, right? Why he wrote Ezra and Nehemiah uh, as one book. He would be instructing the people into the law of God, understanding that there was was, uh, hundreds of years of turmoil and and really just uh, what you find as um, um, what's the word I'm looking for the baggage that would come from not worshipping the way that they were supposed to and then he would be taking those things that the children of Israel picked up from being in captivity from being in other nations and Ezra focuses on bringing their attention back to the law of God back to the precepts of God, back to the statutes of God as they begin to rebuild that temple and then Nehemiah we find he's the third part in this story. He's the cupbearer. We'll get back to that. Okay, for Artaxerxes. I just had to make sure the noise wasn't coming out of the speaker. Uh, But he's the cupbearer, and he works in such a way that he specifically, uh, it's laid on his heart to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem to protect them. We will focus in our study on the latter part, what Nehemiah was called to do. Think about this. Nehemiah, was a Jew that had risen to prominence in the Persian Empire. And here's where I believe that we all could really identify, that we could find some things in this story that God could use to to mold and to change our hearts. Think about this, church. Nehemiah was a Jew that had risen to prominence in the Persian Empire. Just like the Babylonian Empire identified there were Hebrew men that were skilled That could help them. They didn't kill them. They didn't put them uh, on the front lines making brick. They utilized their their knowledge and their abilities for their advancement of their kingdom. And we find the same thing with Nehemiah. He was trustworthy so much so that uh, inside the Persian Empire, he grew to a position that literally was like none other. He held that position of cupbearer. Think about, you got to put yourself in the context of the story. This is like a Game of Thrones type uh, thought here where, where you literally have this king that is worried about all the people around him trying to dethrone him. Try And trust me, you read the history, it's a bloody history. It is literally the history of the Persian Empire where these, these men were uh, very paranoid. And for them to elevate someone to the position, watch this, of cupbearer, He was a very trustworthy individual. We find that not only was he trustworthy, he was now a very wealthy person. You see, the king, in order to have someone that was next to him that would uh, be in charge of his cup, that would pour his wine at the party and serve the king, the king had to know that that person couldn't be bought. The king had to know that that person was locked down, faithful, and loyal to him more than anyone else. So what does the king do? The king takes care of them. In this culture, in this empire, if someone had that title, they were well taken care of. They weren't worried about anything. And the king made sure of it because it was a very important position. Think about it. As the cupbearer, what could you have easily done? Poisoned the king. So we find here, and through this story, you're going to see that Nehemiah was extremely good at his job. He was a Jew, risen to, he, he rose to prominence in the Persian Empire, held that position. He was wealthy. He had good status. How about this? A secure job and favor from the king. But he was a Jew. He was working and accepted as a part of the Persian Empire, but he longed for another kingdom. Huh, does that sound familiar? Hey, are we Americans? Yes or no? Oh man, that was weak. Ain't nobody an American. Are we American? Nope. Nope. I'm going to Mexico. I'm getting out of here. Hey, are we Americans? Yeah, sure we are. Hey, are we patriotic? Sure. Let me ask you this question Are we wealthy? Yes. We're very wealthy. When you put our country in comparison with others, we're very wealthy. Do we have rights? That was weak. Eh, not really. (laughs) If you're watching online, now's the time when you want to leave. Do we have privilege? Yes. Yes, we do. We all have privilege. To be born in this country is a privilege. Now, there are different levels of that privilege. There are different levels of that privilege availing itself within its own cultural context. And we're seeing in in today's society other levels of privilege taking advantage of others. We're seeing where those boundaries are being crossed, where those that uh, have privilege uh, are saying that they don't have privilege. uh, But we all know that if, if any of us are born in this country, we are privileged. And I think that you find that Nehemiah was in a place where he had, guess what? Privilege. And I didn't say that it didn't come because he, it was handed to him. He, he worked for it. He was trustworthy. He showed that uh, he could be trusted and his position was important. But he was still a Jew. He still was in a place where his heart longed for something else other than what his privilege was giving him. We are American. We are patriotic. We are wealthy. We have rights and privilege. But we are of another kingdom. We, We can't lose sight at this point. We have so many Christians that are literally taking their privilege, taking what God has given them, and assuming that because they have all these things, that they are good with God. What if Nehemiah would have done the same thing? What if Nehemiah would have said, I'm here in the Persian Empire and I've risen to prominence. I have more money than anybody. I have more privilege than anybody. I'm content. God must be showing favor upon me. Is that the case? You're going to see that it wasn't. He had all of those things and we find that he used those things for the advancement of his calling. And that's what was so important to him. He had privilege, but he wasn't going to let his privilege take the place of his purpose. How many of you, your privilege is your purpose, and you continue to advance your privilege over and over, and then you use the excuse of, oh, God's just blessed me. That is the typical American. The typical American is, my purpose is my privilege. Instead of understanding that what you have, God gave you for a specific plan and purpose. We have got to stop defining what we have by how God is favoring us and start understanding that God has given it to us for a purpose. Let me explain to you that we're not of another kingdom. I just felt like there was a little resistance there and that I need to give you some scripture, okay? Uh, There really wasn't any resistance. I just really want to read these scriptures to you. We are of another kingdom. 1 John 5, 4. These will be up on the screen. For whatsoever is born of who? Overcometh the And this is the, that overcometh the Even our, okay, hang on to that. Whatsoever is born. We were born American, weren't we? But guess what? We're also born again. Into the family of God. Colossians 3.2, we find that we are to set your affection on things what? Not on things of the earth. We find that if we have a position in the family of God, we are now above that. We are now put in a place where we are to overcome the things that are happening in the world. And that God has done that by his grace. We're a part of another kingdom. We've laid the groundwork for this in in the weeks prior. Listen to this story. I'm not going to get into it. I can preach a whole message on this next story, but it's so fitting for today. Acts 10, 30 through 36. And Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting unto this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. Thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Let me explain to you something. Cornelius was not a Jew. He was, I believe, an Italian man from another country. Understand this. Peter and Cornelius. Peter, a devout Jew. Peter struggling with this idea that Christ is now being extended to all men, to all tribes, to all tongues, and God had to teach him a lesson. He had to say through Cornelius, through this story... What's important is not your prejudices or your privilege. What's important is my purposes. Look at it. Thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call thither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner, which is a totally different part of the story, which is amazing, by the seaside. Who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee And thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all the things that are commanded thee of God? Watch this. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth I perceive, that God is no respecter of persons, but in, what's the next word? Every nation. Say it again. Every nation. He that feareth him and worketh righteousness is, what's the next word? Accepted. With him, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of what? All. Hey, check this out. So, so, so literally, The children of Israel, going back, the story of Nehemiah, of rebuilding the temple, building the wall, uh, establishing the worship of the one true God. Ultimately, that is going to play out in this narrative, in this story that he is now, not just for Israel, but for what? Every nation. That is the gospel. And if you have trouble with that, then you don't believe the gospel. If you believe it is for a certain people group, then you're wrong. It's not a biblical view of what God is doing in restoring the whole world to himself. Listen, we are a part of another kingdom. Peter himself had to come to this conclusion. The apostle Peter, the one that preached Pentecost, had prejudice that he had to overcome. Peter had to get in a place where God would humble him and God would show him that he was literally, God was speaking to other tribes, other tongues, other nations. And of course he used Paul in a mighty way to bring us into that family. Listen to this. Mark 12, 31, and the second is like this. Thou shalt love thy what? Neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Watch this. Just in case you're thinking, Pastor Matt, you're, you're grasping for any verse here to fit your narrative. No, I'm not. Check this out. This is within the Torah, within the law of how they operated originally as a nation of Israel. Check this out. Leviticus 19, through 34. And if a what? What's that? An alien. Someone that is from without. Someone who is not of their culture, not of their country. Within the laws of Moses. He said, listen, if there's a stranger that sojourns with thee in the land, ye shall not vex him. But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as what? One born among you. (laughs) Thank you for these verses. And thou shalt what? Love him. In our Bethlehem Creed, point number one is lead with what? Thank you. Thou shalt love him as what? Thyself. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Oh, let me help you. Let me go another step further. You ready for this? Proverbs 22, 1 and 2 says, A good name is rather to be what? Chosen than great riches. And loving favor rather than silver and gold. Uh, uh, Let's go to the next verse. The what? The rich and the rich poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them. Let me help you with something. (laughs) I'm about to, miss Tanya. I'm about to lay it down. Let Let me help you with something. God is not giving you this favor and this privilege for you to set on it. He doesn't elevate you above someone else that doesn't have it. He's given it to you to steward it. Nothing that we have is our own. Everything is for his purpose, is for his goal, and for his glory. Even in the children of Israel, even in Levitical law, he said, I've given you a land that you are to share, that you are to allow anyone that is not of you to come sit at your table, feed them a meal, invite them in, give them drink, give them food. Why? Because you were a stranger once. Why? Because I called you out of the land of Egypt. It is not something that you have done, but something that I have done through you. Who are we to think we are better than anybody else? Who are we within our own nation to look at one color and think one color is better than another? It doesn't exist in the gospel. Color is not in God's gospel. As a differentiating of someone that is better than another. And you know what else is it? Money. You think you're better because your bank account has more money in it than someone else. What's rather to be chosen? Oh, here it comes. A good what? Name. name. Let's, let, let's hold that thought right there. You ready? Don't let it go. Name, right there in your mind. Name. Philippians 2, 10 through 11, that at the name of Who? Jesus, Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The problem is, is we as Americans are worshiping the things. We're going for the things. We would rather have a thing that is under God than God himself. We are a creature that is worshiping other creatures rather than our creator. Our creator, when we find a place that we are worshiping, worshiping Him. We are communing with Him. We are finding our purpose. A good name is rather to be chosen. And let me tell you something. The name that you have a choice to choose this morning is the name of Jesus. And at His name, all prejudices cease. At His name, all riches are at zero. Ah, I could stop right there but I'm not going to. I'm going to take a sip of coffee. <laughs> I'm getting all kinds of excited. We should be carrying the name of Jesus into every part of our lives and into every relationship that we have. Nehemiah, working, successful. Watch this, watch this, don't miss this. But not content. He had a greater calling. I submit to you today that you have a greater calling as the church. I submit to you today that as an American, that as someone that is in a country of favor, that you cannot be complacent in your favor. You must take your privilege and turn it into a purpose for God. Nehemiah was serving King Artaxerxes. He was doing his job well, but it's high time. We don't find our job as the purpose in our life, but we use our job for the purpose of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is American, Chinese, Russian, Filipino. That one was for you, Jose. I love you. It's every culture. American is American. Russian is Russian. China is Chinese. Right? Those nations are their nations. And if you submit to the powers that be, the prince and powers of the air you'll be content with that. You'll be content to remain an American the rest of your life. But if you're a Christian, you won't be content with an American being an American. You won't be content with just your people being reached by the gospel. You'll be content if your purpose is being fulfilled, not your privilege. God help us. We are so complacent. As long as we got that direct deposit... As long as we got that promotion, we are good. Nehemiah had it all. Let me help you with something. I think this is such a word for today. We see a man that had it all and walked away because he had a purpose. Mm. Ultimately, the end result will be a new kingdom renovated that will resemble the new Garden of Eden. But we are a part of that kingdom already through the Holy Spirit of God. And renovations have begun. The inward man is being renewed. Just in case you were wondering, your body is now the temple of God. The new covenant is now within. Jesus spelled it out. We've had multiple series on this. Series is, is that even a word? I don't know. <laughs> The point of it is this, that your body is now the temple. The veil has been rent, and Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with every human being on the planet. And he was like, look, let me tell you something. In my theology, John, this is a great thing. It's good news that I'm going to go away because I'm going to go, and I'm going to send Jesus through the Holy Spirit into every one of your hearts. I'm going to build you up as the temple, and you yourself can watch heaven and earth meet every day. I can go to God. He can come to me. He can comfort me and love me. Matthew 5, 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for what? Nothing. Nada. Good for nothing. But to be cast out, trodden underfoot. Here, if you don't get anything today, get this right here. The enemy is deconstructing Through sin. But Jesus is reconstructing through his spirit. The enemy is deconstructing through sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. For all have sinned. Wherefore, by one man, sinned into the world. All the devil has is a lie. All he has is a twisted version of the truth, which is not the truth. That you can do something on your own. That you can become something. And that what you accomplish defines who you are. And that is not true. You know what defines me? Jesus. You know what came to me? You know what loved me? His love. He did. I'm an image bearer. I don't have an image myself. My image was destroyed by sin. I was twofold the child of wrath. But Jesus came into my life. He came into my heart through his Holy Spirit, made me a new person, a new creation. And I'm now being being reconstructed from the inside out. Isn't that right? The youngins are getting into it. All right, we're still laying some groundwork, okay? All right. 1 John 4, 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I think at this point, in the study, in the series, I have to just turn and ask you, are you ready to be a child of God? Are you ready to fulfill your purpose of God? Have you become complacent? Have you reached this place of apathy towards those that are around you? Chances are you're not looking through a kingdom lens. What are we rebuilding? How are we Nehemiah? What we are trying to construct as Christians and Christ followers is walls around the souls of men. Walls around the souls of men and women. The Bible is our weapon Our faith is our shield as we champion the cause of Christ in a broken down world for the sake of the coming kingdom of God. Every life is wrecked by sin. But we are called to witness and offer salvation to all. Hey, church, let's rebuild. Let's rebuild. Hey, do you know something? We're in trouble today. How many know that our world is in trouble? We already established why. How many know that our families are being broken down? How many know that our faith communities are being broken down? We're so divided. The kingdom has been divided. We have so many that are in captivity. And yet we have Christians that are in the position of (laughs) cupbearer with all the rights and privileges thereunto. And they haven't even thought about those that are suffering. That's what's wrong with the church. We've become okay with being American and not Christians. That's the problem. And I pray that God will break your heart through this series. And that he will make you a Nehemiah. That will allow your eyes to see what is around you. I'm amazed at the comments... Listen, I'm, I'm landing the plane. I'm not going to go into my five points that I had today. We'll do those next week. As all introduction to this book, we're going to read a few verses, and I want you to see the attitude and the posture of someone that was interested in rebuilding. But what I, what I have seen is a lot of Christians through these recent days that are just not willing to listen. They're not willing to change their perspective They're not willing to look at things from another lens, from another pair of glasses that aren't their own. Some of you, God is going to lead you into looking at this world as it's in captivity. He's going to lead you maybe for the first time to see other brothers and sisters that are outside the walls of this church as folks that you need to be a neighbor to, that you need to love that you need to invite in around your table and spread the gospel to. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter one, verse one. I'll read probably a few more verses than that are in there, Jose. Nehemiah one, verse one. This is gonna, all this is gonna do right now before we close is set the stage for how you should pray this week leading up to next week's message. That's what this is gonna do. Are you ready? Nehemiah one, verse one. Let's look at it. The words of Nehemiah, the son of that guy right there, Hakaliah. <laughs> and it came to pass in the month of Chislu in the 20th year as I was in Shushan the palace that Hanani, one of the brethren, came. He and certain men of what? Judah. And I asked them concerning the who? Okay, Recap. Nehemiah is in a really good place. He's a cupbearer to Artaxerxes. He's a few generations into the Persian Empire. Cyrus to Artaxerxes, they have been kings that have been showing Israel favor. Nehemiah risen to prominence. He's got it all. He doesn't have to ask how Israel is how the Jews are doing. He doesn't have to care. You understand? He's in a place, that he's good. But what does he do? He asks a what? He asks a question. And I asked them concerning the Jews that have what? Escaped. Which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity, there there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down. And the gates thereof are burned with fire. Look at verse 4. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and what? Wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. There are five things that Nehemiah does in this passage, five things that we're going to look at next week that that were his response to what they were going through. And these five things are things that we can do in our place of privilege and prominence to respond in a gospel way to a broken world. Listen, does this sound familiar? Great affliction and reproach, the walls being broken down and the gates burned with fire. If we will get out of our little Cocoons, we'll see a world that is on fire. But the problem is from our position of prominence, we're not asking any questions. We're not in a position to even see the the burning fire. We have a wall built around our house so high so that we don't see the pain that's outside of our little bubble. We we refuse to see things from the eyes of Jesus because we know that if we were to do so, maybe we would be called to action outside of our bubble. What did he do? He asked a question and he was broken hearted as he went to the Lord. This week, can you pray with me that God will break your heart for a lost and dying world? people within our own country. I'm not going to allow the devil to continue his narrative into this political game, right? That's stupid. We're We're in an election year. If we're not careful as Christians, everything around us will be politicized instead of seeing it as the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Let's not slip into that. Let's not politicize this. Let's see the pain all around us as something that the gospel is the answer to. Not your vote. Not, not, and, and I'm not diminishing those, but I just don't think it should be our focus. Our focus should be on the gospel. Can you ask the Lord to break your heart this week for those that are around you? For those that their gates are on fire? Listen. Listen. For those that are broken. How many know, and I don't mean literally, I'm, I'm talking spiritually here. How many know that there are people in your life right now that they don't even know God? They don't even know Jesus. They don't even understand that it's a spiritual battle. Unless you, as the neighbor, tell the stranger. Unless you are led by the Spirit of God To show them what they don't know. But that would require you actually being moved for them. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I pray this morning that you will break our heart for a lost and dying world around us. Father, you used the story of Nehemiah this week to lead me into a place of, of realizing that I'm in comfort I know it's not exact and, and, you know, the the analogy is, is close. But I felt it this week. As you were leading me to those that are around me, that I may talk to them about you. Father, help us to start asking questions with those that are around us. Break our hearts for a lost and dying world. If you're sitting here today and you say, Pastor Matt, (laughs) my privilege has gotten in the way of my purpose. I'm content to let God give me everything that I need without seeking out the needs of others. I'm guilty. Here's my hand. Show God. Show God. That's right. How many of you... How many of you want a broken heart for the lost and dying world? That's right. If, if you will pray this week, God, break my heart for a lost and dying world, I guarantee you He will. Ask Him right now in your seat, hey Father, please break my heart for the lost. How many have taken their kingdom position in Jesus for granted? And you haven't been sharing it with others. You haven't been sharing it with the stranger. No, Nobody's looking. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you today, change it. Repent of that. Know, that. know that God has a purpose for you that's beyond fulfilling your needs, and it's to fulfill the needs of others that need your help. If you're sitting here today, and, and you're like, man, Pastor Matt, I, I feel like I am one of the broken ones. I feel like I don't have purpose. I feel like I, you know, honestly, my life is on fire. My walls are broken down. I I don't have the security that you're talking about. I'm not from that place that you speak of like Nehemiah was in. If I died, I don't even know that I would go to heaven. I don't know Jesus in that way. If that's you, just know this. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He died for you that you may live. I quoted several verses in our message today that that define us all as sinners and having fallen short of the glory of God. You're not perfect. If you're listening to the sound of my voice, whether online or in person, none of us are perfect. It's a lie from the devil that we could all work our way to get to a place of acceptance. With our God. All God wants. Paul puts it this way that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. All you have to do is believe that Jesus was who he said he was, the God of heaven. And that he accomplished within himself, within his life, a perfect life. And when he died, he died for you. And he paid for your sin because he didn't have sin of his own. And that he proved all of that by his resurrection. His life being seen of over 500 and the apostles after he died was proof that what he said was true. And all you have to do is put your faith, which is your belief, your trust in Jesus. When I did that many years ago, it sounded like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And because of my sin, I deserve to go to hell. But Jesus, I know you paid that penalty for me. Please forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart, into my life, and give me a home in heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. That was a prayer that I prayed many years ago. And if you pray that and accept Jesus Christ into your life, he will send his Holy Spirit to seal and live within you. No one's looking. If you prayed that prayer today and you feel as though you have put your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time, raise your hand. I just want to rejoice with you. If you prayed that today, and I just want to rejoice with you. Awesome. Amen. 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 If you prayed that for the first time online, Maybe send us a private message. Let us know of your decision in Christ. Maybe comment below publicly. uh, And we'll reach out to you and we'll celebrate that with you. We thank the Lord for moving in the hearts and lives of people. people. People can't talk today. But if you're here and you have those rights and privileges and you're a child of God today, I pray that God will break your heart for those around you that do not know him. Steve, can you stand and pray for us? Amen. Hang tight. If you're joining us online, we thank you so much today for being a part of our worship service. And uh, we'll see you next week. Jose, you can go ahead and close that out.